Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, we're starting a brand new series today called The Gift. And uh, in the month of December, we will be in the book of Matthew. Pastor Scott will be back. I think he's back next week. He's uh, actually in New Iberia today. And so we're talking about, we're, we're starting this series called The Gift. Um, I don't know about you, but I like gifts, right? Gifts are actually my love language. I don't feel very loved, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, like, you know, the five love languages, right? Gifts is, what, gifts is my primary love language. When, you know, this is just a little Mary's tip. If you do the love language test, um, one of the things that happens is we try to show love the way we receive love, right? So I like gifts. So when Tara and I got together, I was buying her stuff. And she was like, David, you don't have to do this. Just spend time with me. At first, I was like, that's weird. You don't like gifts? And I realized, wait, this is much cheaper. And so I just started spending time with her. Um, but I like gifts, right? I like gifts. And so we're, we're talking through this series on the ultimate gift of Jesus. Today, we're going to walk through Jesus' family tree. Um, how many of you have ever done like 23andMe or Ancestry.com? Some of y'all have done that? I've never done it because I'm scared I might be related to some of y'all. <laughs> um, I've never done it, but, um, but I know a lot of people uh, have, and, uh, you know, we all have family members that are normal like us, because we're normal, right? And then we have those other family members, you know, the crazy uncle and the cousins you got to explain to people before you introduce them to them. All families have some element of dysfunction. You know that, right? Listen, trust me, you do. And if you don't know what yours is, we can help you find out. And with my mother's passing a few weeks ago, um, we all six of us, all six of our kids, of my mother's kids, were together. They all came in from out of town, and we were together like twice over the last month and a half, just preparation. And, and uh, after the funeral, we were sitting there all together, and I'm looking around thinking, I'm the only normal one in this family. You ever feel that way? It's probably not true, but I'm sure it made me feel good. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, we see the genealogy of Jesus. Let me read this to you. The book of, genealogy, the, book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, and Tamar, that's a name to remember, Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, that's another name to remember. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king, 
That's a big name to remember. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And we jump down to verse 15. And Eliud, the father of Eleazar. And Eleazar, the father of Mathan. And Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph. And Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for all the truth that is there. Lord, as we spend time together just looking through your word, Father, we pray that you would challenge us today. God, every one of us have an area in our lives where we can grow. Lord, to grow closer to you, to be healthier in some area in our lives. And Father, today we pray, God, that you would do something in us, Lord, that literally would be life-changing today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So Jewish genealogies typically did not include women. In fact, if you go to Luke chapter 1, you can read Luke's genealogy, and there are no women in that genealogy. It's a traditional Jewish genealogy. But here, Matthew includes five women, and you see some women in here that you probably wouldn't want in your genealogy. You see some women in here who are known for their immorality, but they're still in the genealogy of Jesus the Savior. And it's a reminder to us. I've just got thoughts for you today, okay? <clears throat> it's a reminder to us that Jesus' story isn't about him helping perfect people, but about Jesus saving lost people. The reason you're here today is because Jesus saved you. Not because you were perfect, but because you needed a Savior. And that's why we're here today. Jesus' story isn't about him helping perfect people. It's about Jesus saving lost people. When you think of your family and maybe some of his dysfunction, remember, Jesus had some as well. Because in our humanity, we think about bad sinners in this lineage. Tamar and Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Tamar had made some terrible decisions sexually. But every one of them needed a savior. And let me remind every one of us in this room, it doesn't matter if you were a bad sinner, because you know, some people, they, like, we're all sinners, but some of y'all were bad sinners, right? And then some of you were good people. It doesn't matter what camp you fall into, every one of us need a savior. At the core of the Christmas story is a savior who came to redeem people from their sin. What we see in this genealogy is God in his mercy doing for sinners what they couldn't do for themselves. Because listen, it doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter who you know. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. You can make a lot of things happen for yourself, but you cannot save yourself. You need a savior. No perfect people, but flawed people and sinful people like me and you in this genealogy. So angel, an uh, angel appears to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, and prophesies the birth of Jesus. Speaking of Mary, he says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And aren't you thankful that he has? 
I just want to walk you through this lineage. We're not going to talk about all these names, um, but I want to just kind of highlight some of these names and kind of, kind of let you see a little glimpse of who they were and why it's important that they're in this lineage and then just give you some thoughts. So the first person we want to look at is really the most important person in the lineage of Jesus outside of Jesus, and that is David. David was the second king of Israel. He was actually a shepherd boy living in Bethlehem when the Lord called him to be king. You may remember, God sent a prophet to his dad's house. His dad's name was Jesse, and God sent a prophet and said, God's going God's to bring a king, the king of Israel, out of your sons. And he called every son, and every son came by, and Jesse would say, I mean, the, the prophet would say, that's not the king. That's not the king. That's not the king. And then he said, do you have any other sons? He goes, I have one other son who's out uh, tending sheep. And as soon as David walked in, the prophet said, that's the king. And anointed him king of Israel. But it would take time for him to actually take the throne of Israel. Before he became king, he would face and defeat the nine foot, six inch giant named Goliath. Man, y'all are good. Y'all listen in Sunday school. And when he defeated Goliath, because Goliath, if you know that story, his brothers uh, were literally scared of Goliath. And every day, Goliath would come out and mock them. And then one day, Jesse sent his son David to go bring his brothers some lunch. And when David got there, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came upon him. And he went out and challenged Goliath and killed Goliath. So when he did this, he immediately uh, gained favor with the people and eventually fulfilled his calling and became the, king, the second king of Israel after Saul. He is uniquely described as a man after God's own heart and the sweet psalmist of Israel. But there's another name that's connected to David that we see in this lineage, and that is Bathsheba. When we think of David, we think of David and Goliath, but we also think of David and Bathsheba there in 2 Samuel chapter 11. His greatest victory on the battlefield was defeating Goliath. His worst defeat in the bedroom was the day that he called her over to his palace and sinned with her. If you don't know the story, the Bible says uh, in this passage in 2 Samuel that when all kings went out to war, David stayed home. Listen. There is value in being where you're supposed to be according to the will of God. But David stayed home. And the story goes that David is on his rooftop and he looks over and Bathsheba is bathing. And he calls for the servants to call her over and he sleeps with her and she gets pregnant. David decides, and she's married to a man named Uriah. And David decides... He's going to conjure up this scheme and he's going to have Uriah come in from the battle, from the war, and certainly Uriah will go home and be with his wife and then they'll just, uh, people will assume that it's Uriah's baby. But when Uriah came home, he was a man of honor and he refused to go into his house. 
And he said, it is not right for me to enjoy the pleasures of life while the rest of the men are at war. And he slept on his porch. So now David was in a predicament. He had to do something. So David, king of Israel, in the lineage of Jesus, writes a note to the captain of the army and says to put Uriah on the front lines of the battle. And he literally hands Uriah in a sealed envelope his death sentence and has him deliver it to the captain of the army. Sure enough, the captain of the army follows the king's orders, puts him uh, on the front lines, and Uriah is killed. Yet David is not only in the lineage of Jesus, he is the most important person in the lineage of Jesus. I mean, think about the dysfunction of that, right? Like, you've got this baby, and you've got Uriah, and you've got David, and you're waiting for Maury Povich to come out and say, the father is. <clears throat> in Jewish culture, in order to pr prove your authenticity, you would need to first be able to prove your lineage. The Bible says that the Messiah must come from the line of David. If you go into the Old Testament prophets, you will see that they prophesied that there would be a coming Messiah, but that he would come through the lineage or the line of David. So David's the most important person here because his presence fulfills prophecy concerning the Messiah. Luke chapter 1, verse 32 he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. You may remember in Mark chapter 10, there's a story of a, a blind man named blind Bartimaeus. And the story, the Bible says that blind Bartimaeus was on a street one day and all of a sudden I'm paraphrasing, but there's this ruckus coming in and he realizes it's Jesus and he had heard that Jesus had healed other people and so uh, Jesus and his disciples and probably crowds that are following him are coming down the street, <clears throat> excuse me, and blind Bartimaeus is trying to figure out how he's going to get the attention of Jesus because this is his moment. He's been blind his whole life, and now the healer is coming by. He's got to figure out what to do to get the attention of Jesus. And when Jesus passes by, blind Bartimaeus hollers out, have mercy on me, son of David. And that got the attention of Jesus. Because what that told Jesus was this. He not only needs something from me, he not only wants something from me, he really knows who I am. And I just want to stop and pause and say this. There's a lot of people who want something from Jesus. There's a lot of people who feel like they need something from Jesus, and they do. But a lot of those same people don't know who he really is. And it's one thing to want him to do something for you. It's another thing to have a relationship with him so that you know what to call him. You know how to, how to, how to call him. You know who he really is. You know this, but probably know this, but the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 7, that there will be a time of judgment where people will stand and say, but Lord, we healed people and we prophesied and we cast out demons. And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me. 
I never knew you. Listen to me. Just because you come to church with people who know Jesus doesn't mean you do. Just because you hang around with people who are doing things for God doesn't mean you are. Right? Are the saints playing today? Huh? Y'all don't know. No, y'all in the second, so y'all don't even care. They probably started at noon. Don't leave. Don't leave. You know how it is. Saints win. Next day you're at work, you're like, man, we took it to them yesterday. We, we killed them. Dude, you weren't even in, ba- in New Orleans. I was about to say Baton Rouge. That says you, you weren't even there. But you use the word we. You can do that with the saints, but you don't want to do that with God. Just because you hang around with people who love God, just because you hang around with people who are committed to God, just because you hang around with people who are doing things for God, one day, the worst words you can hear is, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus' story isn't about him helping perfect people, but about Jesus saving lost people. David's story, Uriah, Bathsheba, and the fact that he's included in the lineage of Jesus reminds us of this. God is a redeemer. God's a redeemer. Can I just tell you, the enemy wants to convince us that our past eliminates us and condemns us. Jesus wants to cover our past with his blood. I don't know your story. I don't know what you've done. Maybe you're here today and you go, I've done things that nobody knows about. That's not true because Jesus knows. And not only does he know, he still wants to forgive you. He wants to put it under his blood. Listen, there's nothing you've done that is bigger than God's desire and ability to forgive you, redeem you, and call you his own. John chapter 3 verse 1 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Alfred Nobel, who is known for the Nobel Peace Prize, had hundreds of, in- <clears throat> had hundreds of inventions. <clears throat> he invented dynamite. He lived um, from 1833 to 1869. Uh, he invented dynamite, and it was used in that time in war and for destruction. And he had written his own obituary. And the story goes that one day he opens the paper and the paper had accidentally published his obituary. That's a wake-up call. (laughs) And you're like checking your pulse and you're like... And as the story goes, he starts reading through his own obituary that he wrote and he realizes... The greatest thing he will be known for is something that is destructive in the way of dynamite. And he makes a decision that that's not what he wants to be known for. He makes a decision that he's got to change the narrative. He's got to change the way people see him. And so he developed this peace prize that where this was destructive and used for division, that he would do something to bring peace. So he develops the Nobel Peace Prize in the 18-whatever, and it's still around today. He changed his narrative. He changed his story, and so can you. 
Listen, when you're around people who want to remind you of your crazy, crazy days, you can laugh and chuckle, but you also probably should remind them that that's not who you are anymore. That's who you were. That's not who you are because you met Jesus, right? And listen, I talk to people all the time who are like, I'm scared to, to witness or I'm scared to talk to people. That's, an, that's, that's, that's just a little lob to you. When your buddies start cutting up with you, man, you remember what? I remember. But you know, I'm not like that anymore. I met a man named Jesus. And, and things are different for me now. So there's, there's David. Reminds us that God's a redeemer. There's Bathsheba. She's not even identified by name in this, in this genealogy. It just simply says the wife of Uriah. David sinfully prayed upon her as the king, but she also bore some sense of responsibility in that act of adultery. But here she is in the genealogy of Jesus. Because when we come to Christ, he sees us for who we are and who he created us to be. Listen to this passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 61.3, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, depression, anxiety. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I don't know who you you used to be, but God wants people to look at your life now and go, what happened? How did you become who you are? You were a mess. Oaks of righteousness. Beauty for ashes. Joy for mourning. If you were here doing our legacy campaign a few weeks ago, Pastor Jacob <clears throat> showed that big oak tree in Broussard. The oak tree in Broussard, in, that, in our original campus, where all the buildings are built around that oak tree. And he talked about my parents who were here from the very beginning, the foundation of, the, of our Savior's church. And, and he talked about their contribution. And I sat right over there, and, and I was, obviously, I was very proud and very thankful that God allowed my parents to play that part. But I also sat over there and thought about my dad before he came to Christ. My dad was a mess. His dad physically abused him, verbally abused him, mentally abused My dad, my, my, my grandfather, my, my dad was a mess. And he came to Jesus when I was seven years old. And he wasn't perfect. Trust me. But the fact that God would take someone so broken and use them to be a part of something that has grown to this. And let me remind you, God is no respecter of persons. I'm just using my dad's story. God has things that he's used you to do that are amazing as well. Because when you think about who we are in ourselves and you think about who we've become because of Jesus, <clears throat> it's a big deal. So you got Bathsheba in the lineage of Jesus. And for me, 
It reminds me that God is the great author who rewrites our story. God wants to give you a new story. God wants to give you a new story today. And that's our testimony. This is who we were. This is what God did to reach me. And this is who I've become. Oh, I've got a long way to go, but I'm not who I used to be. Amen? And then the next person we see in this lineage is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, chosen by God. Others were known for their promiscuity, but Mary was known for her virtue. You know how cities are known for things, right? Um, New York is the, is the city that never sleeps, right? Paris is um, the city of lights. Scott is the city of Great Buddha, <laughs> Right? Well, Nazareth was known as a city of sin. It wasn't a typical place you stayed in. It was kind of the kind of place you, you passed through, right? Roman soldiers would come, and they would pass through, and then girls would, become, would come, come out as being pregnant. It was just a place that was known for its, its sin, and again, um, uh, it just wasn't a good place. In fact, in John chapter 1, when Jesus called Philip, Jesus went to Philip and said, Philip, follow me. And Philip became one of the disciples of Jesus. And Philip went to his friend Nathaniel and said, Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. You may remember Nathaniel's response. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because it wasn't known for good. It wasn't known for righteousness. But in the middle of nowhere, and a place known for unrighteousness, God handpicked the woman who was known for her virtue to carry the Savior of the world. An unknown girl living in an unknown place, chosen by God to carry out the most important birth in human history. Listen to Luke chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice highly, favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. So, The angel comes and he addresses her knowing that she's about to carry the Savior of the world, but she's troubled. Like, why would you call me blessed one or highly favored one? But she had been chosen by God to carry the Savior. Let me just stop here and say this. I don't don't want to offend anyone, but I do want to share truth with you. Some pray to Mary as if she is the giver of grace. Listen, Mary is not the giver of grace. Mary was a needer of grace. Mary needed grace just like you and I do. She was highly favored. She was chosen by God. But grace did not and does not come from Mary. It comes from Christ. Mary was a godly girl, a virtuous woman, but she wasn't without sin. Listen to Luke chapter 1. When she was chosen... This was her response. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord 
and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Sinless people don't need a Savior. Jesus didn't need a Savior. He was the Savior. And so we honor Mary. She was chosen by God. But Jesus is our Savior. It's interesting that when you go to the first miracle Jesus ever performed, you may remember this. He turned water into wine. I know some of, that, some of y'all, that's your favorite story. <clears throat> You're like, this faucet just won't, it won't happen. Mary is there, and uh, Jesus tells him to take the water pots and fill them up with water. And Mary says this to the servants. She said, do whatever he tells you. And those are the last words we hear from Mary. Mary never speaks. This is the first miracle. In my mind, that means I've done my duty. I've raised him. I've prepared him for this moment. He's 30 years old. This is his first act of ministry. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And then she never speaks again in the Gospels. And I think if Mary were here today, she would look at us and say, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. He is your savior. I think what Mary, it reminds me that God gives purpose to those that others see no value in. So many times when I'm counseling people, people who come and just talk about their insignificance, that they don't matter. They've never mattered. They're not good at anything. They're, 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 they just don't matter. Growing up, people talked down to them. Their own parents or siblings criticized them, told them they were no good. I've said this before, but I want to say it again. I don't know what anyone has told you, but I know this. You matter because you are the creation of God Almighty. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and you matter. You just need to get around some people who are speaking life over you, right? Listen, the Bible says that life and death is in the power of the tongue, and that's not just the words we speak. I believe that also pertains to the words that we allow others to speak over us. If people are speaking unbelief and doubt and insignificance to you, you need to find some other people to listen to. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I've got friends who are ungodly. I go to lunch with them, but I don't go to counsel. I don't go to them for counsel. They don't get to tell me about what to do with my marriage. They don't get to tell me what to do with my kids or my money or my job. Blessed is the one who does not listen to the counsel of the ungodly. Be careful who you listen to. The last person in this lineage I want to look at is Joseph. Just as God chose Mary to be the mother of the Messiah, God chose Joseph to be a father figure on earth for Jesus. Joseph was his legal father on paper, but he wasn't his biological father, right? We know that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus was fully human because he was born of Mary, but he was also fully God and without sin because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Just just hear that again. 
Jesus was fully human because he was born of Mary. But he was fully God and without sin because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus received David's throne, but he did not receive David's sin. I think think God chose Joseph because I think he was a man's man. You know, kind of like me. Uh, Go ahead, laugh at my significance. I just told y'all don't do that. Joseph was a carpenter. He was a craftsman. He was a builder. And he was chosen to literally be a voice in the life of the Messiah. What an honor. What, what a calling. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in here are step-parents? Quite a few of you. Yeah, when I got married, when Tara and I were dating, I was 36, and, and Tara had a six-year-old daughter. And I remember when Tara begged me to marry her, and I was able to, um, <laughs> to get her a ring. Um, and I remember when we decided to get married, and I, we were excited to tell Annie. I didn't know that Annie's dad was working against me on the backside. And at six years old, when I told Annie that when we told Annie we were getting married, she looked at me. She said, "I don't want you to marry my mama, and I do not want you to live with us." And we were good. I mean, me and Annie were good. It messed with me. I mean, it really, really messed with me. I told Tara, I said, Tara, I, I cannot mess that child's life up. We got to go see somebody. And some of you know, there's a couple, um, Dan and Bambi Panagiotis, they were at OSC for years. And, and Tara was really close with them. And, and they had the similar situation. Dan was a, they were older than us. The kids were older than, than Annie. But Dan was a stepfather. And so we went and sat down with them. And they said a lot of amazing things. But the biggest thing he said to me was, he said, David, do you know who the first stepfather was that we know of? I was like, I don't know. He goes, David, it was Joseph. Joseph was a stepdad to Jesus. God chose Joseph to entrust Jesus to. God trusted Jesus to Joseph. What does that say about Joseph? And he said, David, you have an opportunity to speak, to be a a voice of truth. You have an opportunity to be a voice of righteousness and an example of righteousness to that child. And you don't need to fear this opportunity. You need to thank God for this opportunity and walk into it. And, and, And we did. And I just want to remind you, I will say this, raising somebody else's child really has been the hardest thing I've ever done. It's, it's a hard task. If you've, if you've never done it, I'm, I'm just telling you, it's a hard task. And I know some people that do it amazing and it's easy, but for the most part, the people I talk to, it's a tough task. But I just want to remind you that God entrusted that child to you. God is trusting you with somebody else's child. And I'm sure 
Joseph got flack. All of a sudden, Mary's pregnant, and there's all these rumors, and there's all this talk. But Joseph still did what was right, and I just want to encourage you. Just stay the course. Stay the course. Don't see this as an obligation. See this as an opportunity. See this as something that God has trusted you with. We don't know what happened to Joseph. Obviously, we assume he died. But, you know, we see Mary at the cross, and we see Mary in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, but we don't see Joseph again. But we do know he was a good man. He had to be. Mary tells him that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about that. Okay, remember Nazareth. Remember Roman soldiers coming through and girls getting pregnant. And now Mary, who he's engaged to, is pregnant, and she's saying it's from the Holy Spirit. Likely story, Mary. I guess Siri had something to say. (laughs) Listen to Matthew chapter 1. But as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." That just brings me to number five, my fifth thought, and that is God uses foolish things to get the attention of wise people. This made no sense. Why would you choose somebody from Nazareth? Why would... But God knows what he's doing. The Christmas story is a reminder of the grace of God. God uses nobodies and makes them into somebodies. I just want to remind you, there will never be another Mary and Joseph. But there also won't be another one of you. See, Mary and Joseph said yes to the call. Will you? Because God had a plan for them and a purpose for them, but God's got a plan for us and a purpose for us. And the question is this, will we say yes to what God is calling us to? When I, was, when I graduated from high school, I made the decision to go to a ministry school in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, it was kind of like youth with a mission, if you're familiar with that. And, and I remember my uncle, who was a good man and loved me, calling me to his furniture store and trying to talk me out of it and telling me, you need to be in the family business, you need, telling me everything I needed to do. And it was hard to still stay the course because I really respected him and valued him. But I'm so thankful that I did. This past week, in our staff meeting, I had an idea, and it really was last minute. It wasn't planned. And I got with our church staff, and I said this. I said, I want each one of you, I want each one of us to go around the room and say the good quality, the good trait that we bring to the table of the Midtown campus. It can't be ministry-based. So it can't be, I'm a good preacher or, you know, I, I'm a good student pastor, whatever. It has to be something more personal than that. And all of a sudden, as I said it spontaneously, I'm thinking, oh, crud, what am I going to say? <laughs> and I could literally see as the people around the room are thinking the same thing I'm thinking. 
But as I'm watching them think, you know what happened? I went, well, I know what she's good at. I mean, I, I, I know what's good about him. That's easy for me to talk, talk. Like, I knew, and they probably knew about me. I think what happens is we minimize ourselves while we see value in everyone else. And that is a trick of the enemy. That is a trick of the enemy to convince you the people around you are good, but you're not so much. Listen, there is value in you. There is purpose in you. You are the creation of God Almighty. There's not one accident in this room. Trust me. Your parents might have seen you as an accident, but God never saw you as an accident. You were the creation of God Almighty. I'll wrap up just with this thought. God can take a mess and use it to create a message. God can take a test and use it to create a testimony. God can redeem your story. God can redeem your family. And God can redeem your name because he is for you. Would you bow your heads? Your your head's about and your eyes are closed. No one's looking around right now. And I just want to ask you this question. Maybe you're here today and you feel distant from God. As we talk about purpose and value and God's plan. Maybe you're here today and you feel really, really distant from God. Maybe you're here today and you would say, I've never made a commitment to Christ. Or I grew up in church, but I've never simply said yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says it this way. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and he was raised from the dead... Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, religion makes it difficult for us to get to God. Religion says we've got to jump through hoops. But Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved because he wants a relationship with us. If you're here today and you say, I've never made a commitment to Christ as Lord and Savior, or I feel really, really distant from God, I want to pray with you. I want to embarrass you. I want to ask you to come forward. I want to ask you to stand. I just want to pray with you. If you're here today and you would say, David, that's me. That's me. And I want to make a commitment to Christ today. I just want you to lift your hands right where you are and then put them back down. Thank you. 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 Anyone else before we pray? Thank you. I see you. I want to pray a prayer. Thank you. And I I want you to pray this prayer after me. But I want you to let it come right from your heart. Listen, the prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. I'm just giving you something to pray to help you articulate what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you. And I'm going to ask every person in this room to pray out loud in support of you today. Can we pray together? Dear Lord Jesus. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, 
and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all of my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.